Thank you for singing out. We are we have been, again, between the holidays and illnesses and other things, we've been kind of bouncing back and forth, but we're back into the Gospel of John today. John chapter 16, verses 25 to 33. <clears throat> this will bring to a conclusion what's called the Upper Room Discourse. That's the sermon our, or the teaching our Lord did in uh, the Upper Room at the Last Supper uh, before the day of his crucifixion. Chapter 17 will begin uh, where the Lord will turn to prayer. And so we're, we're coming to a place, there'll be a nice break, and that's kind of convenient because next Sunday we're going to take another break from John, and that will be our prophetic update. Um, that's the Sunday where I announce when Jesus will come back. I'll give you the date, time. <laughs> Absolutely not. <clears throat> but what we will do is on Sunday school, we'll meet in here, and I always give an overview of what is the Bible, what is the plan that we understand from Scripture of an overview of, of prophecy uh, the, that, that's laid out in Scripture for the end times. And then in the morning service and in the afternoon service, we will walk through the events of the previous year and show how those things uh, can fit with and point to the, the readiness for the soon return of Jesus Christ. And so that's kind of a uh, looking at current events. And then in, in between the morning service and the afternoon service, we take a break for a, a fellowship meal in the gym. So, so that's the plan for next week. And uh, we do that every year. Normally we do it on the second Sunday of January. But again, this has been a year of lots of things, uh, illness and uh, funerals. And so, uh, so we're going to do it next week. Now, the one caveat I have to say to that is the way things have been going we may not be here next week the rapture may happen in the event of the rapture and the church is taken up into heaven uh, there will be no or at least I won't be here for any meeting um, and if you're here you you need to do something about that we'll talk maybe more about that but anyway so so that's what's next week but for now um, our Lord is finishing his public teaching ministry as we, as we conclude the passage before us. And so I encourage you to look in, in your Bible to John chapter 16, verse 25 to 33, and, and follow along as I read. <clears throat> These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet, I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. <clears throat> the Lord begins in this first section as he, as he starts speaking about some coming change that, that's before them. Coming change. And he starts by speaking about there's a, a plainer teaching by the Holy Spirit that will be coming. In verse 25, he said, these things I've spoken to you that in, in, in figurative language. When he says he spoke in figurative language, that doesn't mean just using illustrations and such. The word is, is more has the sense of um, um, enigmatic, of not clear, of, 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 of harder to discern. In other words, he's, he, he's been speaking in a way that doesn't, it's not just completely and totally, plainly laid out before them. 
He's teaching truth, but not just clearly and directly stating it. And that applies to what he's been saying here in the upper room, but really it's been applying to the whole three years. I think of his teaching ministry. And if you think about it, if you read the Gospels and you read the teaching of Jesus, you'll find uh, there's a lot that seems to be, why didn't he just spell it out? And I've I've mentioned this before. For example, uh, he, he tells people, repent. You know, to follow me. He, but he never says, listen, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to shed my blood on the cross. I'm going to die. That will pay for your sin. And then you, if, when you trust it, you confess your sin, trust in me as Savior, you'll have eternal life. He, never, he doesn't use language like that, does he? He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Now, part of that, I think, is just their, their, their disciples are not ready yet to hear that. This is before the cross. Whenever he mentions the cross, remember Peter, whoa, whoa Jesus, don't talk like that. Don't, don't talk about a cross. You're, you're not going to any cross. And Jesus has to tell them, get behind me, Satan. So if you look at the three years of, and teaching ministry of Jesus, and then read the Gospels, even read the book of Acts, and you see how much clearer and direct, more plain the teaching is. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Before the cross, they weren't ready. But also, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And so what he's saying is, um, I've spoken to you in this figurative language. But, he goes on, the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language. I will tell you plainly about the Father. And I think that's referring to especially, you see some of that right after, after the resurrection. Remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus when they're walking along and, and they're saying, well, we thought Jesus was the Messiah, but we were wrong. And Jesus just starts opening scripture, says, starting in Genesis, he takes them all the way through the prophets and he shows them. And this, was, this has always been the stumbling block for the Jewish person. If he's the Messiah, how can he have died? And so Jesus takes from Genesis and shows the messianic prophecies. Paul will do that when he goes into the synagogue. He shows the the Messiah must suffer. But it was a much plainer teaching. But even with that, as Jesus was teaching them so plainly on the road to Emmaus, they never realized it was Jesus until right at the moment before he left. And so this, this really waits to this coming of the when the holy spirit will be sent after the resurrection after the ascension of christ jesus says wait in jerusalem till the holy spirit comes and that happens on the day of pentecost then the holy spirit indwells and teaches and jesus is saying notice i will no longer speak to you in figurative language but i will tell you plainly about the father He's speaking there about the Holy Spirit's teaching ministry. He said that earlier, back in chapter 16, verse 12. He said, I have many things still to say to you. Verse 13, the spirit of truth, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but he will speak what he hears from me. So the Holy Spirit will come up, came upon the believers after the ascension at Pentecost and then from then on every believer when you're born again when you trust Christ as Savior you are automatically indwelt by the Holy Spirit and taught by the Holy Spirit and Jesus says that's my plainer teaching and that ministry continues to this day it was a it was a revealing ministry to the apostles remember he promised them you're, the, the Holy Spirit will help you remember what I taught you and understand what I taught you. And it's the Holy Spirit who helps us understand his word and make plain. And so remember, that's what he said in chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. If I depart, I will send him to you. So Jesus is saying that it's to, it was to the disciples' advantage that Jesus would go back to heaven 
because then he would send the Holy Spirit and they would actually learn more. That's, that to me is re remarkable. When we think of Jesus, we think of the world's greatest teacher. And here he's saying, my teaching was great, but it wasn't so clear. By the way, next time you can't follow a preacher, maybe you can try this on me, you might say, wow, you teach just like Jesus. I don't get it. <laughs> um, but he's saying the whole point was they were not equipped yet. But then they moved on to when the Holy Spirit came. And not only did they now have the, the hindsight clarity of the cross, though they still had a hard time understanding what was that all about, now the Holy Spirit explains to them the cross and so much more. And that's, that's where we are. And so he's saying, right now, the teaching I've given to you has been not as, not as plain and clear as we might want. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will enable you to understand and he will teach your heart the truth. <clears throat> I, I, I read that and I just think, you know, often I think, wouldn't it be amazing to have three years of listening to Jesus talk, to, to be with him, to see those miracles and hear his teaching. But notice what Jesus says. You'll be better off after I am gone and the Holy Spirit comes to you. We can better understand Jesus than the disciples did. And you see that again and again where they're not, you know, where Peter, well, they'll argue with Jesus. Where you'll see them kind of afterwards, Jesus will teach and they'll be talking among themselves. What was that all about? What did that mean? What's the significance of that? We have the Holy Spirit teaching us. And that, by the way, is one of the things I think we recognize in our own spiritual life. I've mentioned this before. You've experienced it if you know Christ as Savior. Before I came to know Christ, when I tried to read the Bible, it made no sense to me. But then when I came to know Christ, all of a sudden, it was amazing to see how it was all interconnected, how it made so much more sense. It's not because I got suddenly smarter. It's because now the Holy Spirit was interpreting this, the truth to me, teaching me the truth. <clears throat> it's kind of like maybe, if I can refer to some technology of ancient history. Remember televisions that had antennas? And, and sometimes the signal would be coming in, and usually it was at the most important time, uh, landing on the moon, the cowboys are playing, something like that. And all of a sudden, you couldn't see. And the, you know, the old rabbit ears, you try. And, or sometimes, you know, people complain, well, what is, the signal's terrible. And someone goes to the back of the camera or back of the TV and says, oh, oh, wait a minute. The antenna is not attached. And they would hook it up and, oh, what a great picture. So the Holy Spirit is that antenna that connects us and shows us the truth. So, so the first thing our Lord says is when he's talking about leaving, he's saying, you will understand better in a little while. It will make sense to you. You're not ready now. But in, in a while, you will understand. Well, and then verse, notice uh, he goes on to speak about prayer as well, which will change with Christ's leaving. <clears throat> Verses 26 and 27, he says, And that day you will ask in my name, I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me, and I have believed, and you have believed that I have come forth from God. So here's another transformation happening after the cross and after the Holy Spirit comes. It's how they pray. The disciples and all believers will be able to pray to the Father. In Jesus' name. That means he, we, we, we can say, I'm asking by Jesus' authority, by Jesus' access. Um, if you can think a simple illustration of that is if um, you, know, you want to 
maybe get into someone's office and they have to give you the code to the office. Okay, now I have the code to get in. I have access. Or maybe someone wants you to go to the store and buy something for you and they just say, here's my credit card. Use this. You know, you are, you are purchasing, you're accessing their finances in their name using their card. <clears throat> but the point is, when we pray, we don't pray because of who we are. God hears us because of who we are in Christ. We come in his name. <clears throat> um, Harry Ironside, a pre Bible teacher of a previous generation, um, told a story. Now, you can tell he's a previous generation because uh, he, came, he uses an illustration from the Civil War. But I'd like you to hear what he's, how he teaches this point from that. You may have heard of the story of that poor boy who was dying on the battlefield after one of the great conflicts in the war between the states. Another soldier nearby crawled to him and found this poor boy in a dreadful condition and did everything he could to help him. They talked together. And then the other said, now, if I get out alive, is there anything I can do for you? Well, he said, maybe I can do something for you. So the dying boy said to the one who had come over to help him, my father is wealthy, <clears throat> and if you get through this conflict alive and are ever in need, take this little card, and he wrote a few words upon it, and go to see my father. I know he will be ready to help you out. So the dying son gave to the, his friend this card. The soldier did not think he would ever use the card, but the time came when he was in dire need. And he remembered the conversation, and he went and found the wealthy man. And through the uh, underlings and secretaries, he sent in his own card, his own name, and got no response. Back then, when you wanted to call on somebody, you had a, what, they called, what we would call a business card, a calling card. You'd send your card, and they would welcome you in. He sent in his card, no response at all. And then he thought of the other card that he got from the dying soldier, and he got it out. On it was written these words, Father, if you can ever do anything for my friend who helped me when I was dying, please do so. And it was signed, Charlie. And he sent that card in. In a moment, out came the big businessman, and he said, Oh, why didn't you send that in before? I will do anything that I can for you, for Charlie's sake. And so in the same way, when we come to the Father, it's not that we use necessarily, you have to say those exact words, in Jesus' name, though that's a good reminder. But the point is, when we come to the Father, he hears us for the sake of his Son. And he says, I'm delighted to hear, receive, and answer your prayer. But it's more than access when we pray in Jesus' name. When we pray in Jesus' name, that also means we're praying for his purposes. So if I, if I use the name of the Lord in a prayer, but it's all about me, I'm missing the point. And so if I you know, try to use someone else's name to buy something they would never buy, I'm not, being a, I'm not faithfully buying in their name. To pray in Jesus' name is to pray by his authority, for his purposes. James talked about that in chapter 4, verse 3. In James 4, 3, James says, You ask and do not receive, because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You know, prayer isn't a get-whatever-you-want license. Prayer is the, in Jesus' name, is by his authority for his purposes. And so if, you know, you're working for someone, um, and, and, and you, I remember one time I was working, I worked for a school furniture company one time, and I was on a project, and, if, and uh, they told me very clearly, if you need anything, here's the credit card, you go to a hardware store, and you buy the tool you need, buy the equipment, and, and, and just buy it. Don't, you don't even have to call us, just get it and get the job done. The whole point, but if I went in there and said, oh, by the way, I want to buy, uh, I've always wanted a this or that. That's not, why, that's not why they gave me the card. I was buying it in their name for their purposes. 
This, by the way, also implies I'm in a good relationship with the Lord. If I'm in rebellion, then how can I pray in Jesus' name? If I'm living in a way that denies who he is and what he wants in my life, then how can I then come to the Father and pray in Jesus' name? We see that principle in Scripture as well. Proverbs 60, 60, I mean, excuse me, Psalm 66, 18. If you can find Proverbs 66, 18, please let me know. <laughs> but in Psalm 66, 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. No, it's if I'm living, if I'm cherishing if a sin in my heart, then the door is closed because I'm, I'm not praying in Jesus' name even if I say the words. <clears throat> Proverbs 28, 9 says, One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer, is an abomination. In other words, if I willfully reject God's truth, God's word, God's call on my life, and then try to talk to God, you know, in a sense he's going to say, wait a minute, you're not listening to me, why am I going to listen to you? And so Jesus said, I, I, when he says, pray in my name and, and, and God will answer, he says, I do not say to you that I shall pray to the Father for you. The Lord's making it clear. It's not that we pray to Jesus to go ask his Father something. We have direct access to the Father. Saying, you know, it's not when you pray, then I go and talk to the Father. You talk to the Father directly. Maybe you've had that happen sometimes in your family where the child will, uh, they know who the, who the soft touch parent is for whatever issue it might be. Uh, and, they are, and they say, you know, uh, dad's uh, kind of upset. He told me not to touch his car and now it's in two pieces. Mom, would you go talk to dad? No, 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 no. You get in there. You talk to him. And Jesus is saying, you have direct access. You know, some people think that when you pray, you have to pray to this saint or that saint or whomever else it might be. And they'll say, oh, oh saint so-and-so, would you go talk to, to Jesus for me? And, and maybe he'll talk to his father. Or maybe you, you go and talk to a priest and the priest talks on your and That's not how it works. You have direct access through Jesus Christ. And he goes, he explains that. For the Father himself loves you because he's loved me. Because you have loved me. Excuse me. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. We have direct access to the Father because of our, our relationship to Jesus Christ. By the way, that word love, you know, in the, in the, in the New Testament, there are uh, different words for love. Uh, the one we often talk about is, the, the noun is agape, or the verb is agapao. That's a love of the will. That's, I'm going to do what's in your best interest. God so loved the world. Not that the world was so attractive when it was in rebellion, but as an act of the will, he did what was kind and good for us. That's agape. Then there's the word phileo. Uh, and that, ha that, that word means um, like Friendship. Like Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Phileo has an idea more of affection, friendship. Uh, for example, a, a kiss on the cheek is called a philema. It, it's a, an expression of affection. That's the word here. Yes, God loves us out of the will. That's his saving grace. But if you will, he also likes us. Um, and, 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 and so he's saying, I love, he loves us. He has an affection for us because we have an affection for Christ. Again, so that's praying in Jesus' name is I have a relationship with, with the Father through Jesus Christ because I love him and I've believed in him and I've believed that I, he came, I came forth from God, he says. Because I've trusted in Christ as Savior, God loves me and delights to hear my prayer. <clears throat> I could use the illustration of a, of a father, for example, and delighting to hear the request of their child. But if I could magnify that to a higher degree, the love of a grandfather for a child, 
delights to hear requests and appeals and delights to do all he can. So, so what, now, now what he's saying here is the Father loves us because you've loved me. I mean, the Father loves you, Jesus said to his disciples, because you've loved me. It's not saying we've earned God's approval and God's love. 1 John 4.19 makes it clear. 1 John 4.19, you know the verse. We love him because he first loved us. So God in his grace poured his love out on us. And that's what caused us to to love the Son. And because we love that Son, the Father loves us. So he's building a relationship here. Our passage is emphasizing that because of God's saving love toward us, we believe in Christ and we love him. Because of that, we have a relationship with the Father. I'll just make one other passing comment. Maybe you haven't thought of this yet, but Jesus said, I'm, not, I'm saying you can pray to the Father. I'm not going to pray for you. And if, you're, if you remember some of the passages of Scripture, Jesus, we're told specifically that Jesus in heaven prays for us. He intercedes for us. Romans 8, 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So there is a sense he does pray for us. But his point is, I don't need to be an intermediary for you. You can talk directly to the Father and because he loves you. And he loves you because you love me and have believed in me. So if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, sometimes we think, oh, I don't know if I can talk. What right do I have to talk to God? <clears throat> if you know Christ as Savior, he delights uh, to hear your prayer. And then Jesus summarizes his ministry. Now this is scary for me. In verse 28, this, this, this one verse encapsulates the entirety of Jesus' ministry. It's scary for me because uh, I could launch off on this for a while. So here's a good time for you to intercede for me that I would restrain myself. But let me read the verse. Jesus says, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I'm leaving the world and go to the Father. Uh, let, me, let me read someone who kind of summarizes this well. James Montgomery Boyce says this. I see four parts to verse 28. First, there is the doctrine of his heavenly origin. It involves Christ's preexistence and his full divinity. Second, that's the I came forth from the Father. Second, and have come into the world, there is the doctrine of the incarnation voluntarily assumed. Third, I leave the world and go to the Father. There is the voluntary return to God by way of crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And fourth, there is the matter of his heavenly destiny. So the first thing he tells us is... Um, <clears throat> I have, he says, you, you believed in me that I've come forth from the Father. And now he summarizes it. I did come forth from the Father. That speaks of his eternality with God in heaven. The whole book of John begins that way, right? John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. No other person can claim that. And he can say later on in chapter 8, before Abraham was, I am. And we would have to say, before Abraham was, I wasn't. And when Abraham was and wasn't, I wasn't. But Jesus can say, before Abraham was, 2,000 years before he spoke those words, I'm already there. I am. The eternality of Jesus. He's God. And he says, I've come into the world. Now, sometimes we get a little soppy. So-and-so's just come into the world. I'm talking about a baby that's born. That's the sloppy theology. Um, our, we, Jesus came from heaven into the world. He became incarnate at conception. He was born at Bethlehem. But he, he had an eternal existence before he ever came to earth. We don't. Our existence begins at conception. Uh, our, our existence begins on earth. But Jesus... John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. 
So we have our origin here in this life. Jesus has no origin. He's eternal in heaven with the Father. And he came into the world. So he's very unique in that. He is, you can't be very unique. Unique means there's only one. You can't be very one. <laughs> but the point is, he is unique. None of us can claim that. He came into the world. And then he goes on to say, and again, I leave the world to go to the Father. So we've seen his preexistence, his eternal preexistence, his deity. His incarnation, it came into the world. I'm leaving the world. That's speaking of the fact he's going to the cross. And notice it's all voluntary. That's what he's saying. This is the plan. He keeps trying to emphasize, and again, may I say kind of darkly? We, it's easy for me to read back and say this is what he's talking about. This, this one little verse so quickly spoken went right over the head of the disciples in many ways. But he's laying out for him his voluntary giving himself to the cross as the way to head to heaven. Again, I leave the world, he said, to go to the Father. He's going back to glory. Later in chapter 17, verse 5, here's what Jesus says in his prayer. Now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. There it is. Father, I'm coming back to the glory. This isn't the beginning of glory. It's the, it's the restoration of the manifestation of the glory that's always been his. But that one verse summarizes a ton of theology, a ton of truth that helps us can maybe think of who Jesus is. <clears throat> well, with those words, now the disciples respond, and I call it current confidence. His disciples said to him, see now, you are, see, now you are speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. They say, now we get it because now you're being plain. But what did Jesus say? The time is coming when I will be plain. Whoops. That's not yet. So if already they're missing the point. But now they're saying, oh, now, now we really get it. If you've been a teacher, you may have experienced that when a student says, now I get it. Sometimes you can look in their eyes and you can say, they really do get it. And sometimes they say, I get it. And you're thinking, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> uh, let's work. Uh, and, and so, but sometimes you'll say, what do you get? And they tell you. And they say, okay, let's go back to point one. <laughs> Here we go. Um, and so they say, oh, no, oh, Jesus, now we get it. Now, for the first time, we get it. And they say, they understand completely. And they say this, now we assure you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. Well, they say some good things there, but it's a little inadequate. And again, if I can quote another commentator, uh, Chuck Swindoll, listen to what he says here. I find the response of the disciples charming. He's a little kinder than I am. As I'm sure the Lord did. You know, so he's kind of smiling. Oh, yeah, now you get it. Note their use of now in response to the Lord's in that day. They gained but a small glimpse of the future and thought they understood him fully. Their statements about the deity of Jesus and his exclusive claim to divine truth were absolutely spot on. If only they had understood them completely. Later when the Holy Spirit filled them, the disciples would fully appreciate the mystery and wonder of God's incarnation. They were the toddler's at a performance of Handel's Messiah. They heard the sounds and saw the sights, but the breadth and depth of meaning would come only with maturity. And that's a good expression of it. They heard the words. They could give back a bit of a response, but they didn't really grasp them. So Jesus answered them, and some of your translations handle this differently. He answers by saying, oh, do you now believe? Now, some of you don't, you don't, there's no question marks. There's no punctuation in Greek. 
So is this a statement or is it a question? It could be either way. I think he's asking a question. Oh, now, now you get it. Okay. And he says, indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you may, will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. So he challenges them. Oh, oh, you really do believe now? Now you understand? If you truly understood, you wouldn't leave me in just a few minutes. And here he is. He's going to give the upper room. Uh, he's going to give the high priestly prayer of John 17. And then they're going to go into the garden. And in a few moments, these disciples, well, not a few moments, a couple hours, you know, there's the, they're falling asleep. He prays for a little bit. <clears throat> but they're going to scatter. If they really believed what they just said they believe, they wouldn't have budged an inch. And so it's, oh, now, now you believe? The hour is, indeed, the hour is coming. It now has come. Here's another time prediction, but he says, now here, this one is on us. You will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. Each to his own, a lot of times that means each to his own house, but their houses are back in Galilee. I think he's saying basically each one's going to go off on their own. They're not even going to gather, hey, we're a team, guys, let's stick together. They scatter into the wind. Eventually, you know, we'll see Peter uh, heading to kind of follow the, at a distance, and John and Peter there at the trial of Jesus at a distance. We'll see John at the cross with the women. But everyone else scatters. And so he says, you really believe? No, you don't believe. If you believed, if you fully understood what you just said, you wouldn't scatter. In fact, he goes on to say, and you will leave me alone. This is the one they loved and served, and, and he's going to be totally abandoned by them. If you really believed what you're saying, you wouldn't forsake me. Unbelief is a sin. Sin and unbelief drives us to self-focus. Sin causes us to see everything of what's in it for me. How does this affect me? What about me? Fear does the same thing. It takes my eyes off the Lord and focuses on me. Because of their sinful self-absorption, when the, when, the, when the chime comes and Jesus is confronted by Roman soldiers, they will run to the wind. Their desire for self-preservation will drive them to deny Christ by their actions and then even by their words. You know, I'm thinking now about Peter there by the fire. And again and again, three different times, he has the opportunity to, to identify himself as a follower of Christ. And every time he says, I don't, I don't even know who he is. That's not faith. That's fear. That's not faith. That's sin. Sin turns our eyes to self. Love turns our eyes to others. Faith keeps our eyes on the Lord. Fear only sees myself and my circumstances. We all wrestle with that at some level. But that's your good clue. When, when you're focusing, what does this mean for me? What about me? What about me? When you're taking up an offense when you're full of fear, whatever it might be, that's sin. Love looks out for others. Notice Jesus. He's not talking about himself, is he? He's talking about what he's going to do for them. But notice those sad words. Not only will you scatter, <clears throat> you will leave me alone. He had been there for them for three years. And they're about to just leave him in the dust. I think that's one more wound to our Lord. 
But he knew their hearts and he knew where they were going. And he says, yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. They will abandon him, but the Father won't. Now, I do have to say, sadly on the cross, at the moment of of when God pours his wrath on the Son to pay for our sin, we hear that cry from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There will be a a, a judicial abandoning. When at that point, when he bears the guilt of our sin, the Father will turn his back on him. In fulfillment of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he will bear the the, the infinite wrath that is due to our sin. But that was that momentary judicial act. Aside from that, Jesus can say, the Father will not forsake me. He's with me. Our Lord could have peace and confidence. The Father would be there for him no matter what happened and no matter what everyone else did. And here's my point in mentioning that. You and I can have that confidence as well. There may be times when you feel abandoned. When you feel left alone, forsaken. By friends, by family, by whomever it may be. Listen to the words of of, of Paul at one point. In 2 Timothy 4.16, he said, At my first defense, no one stood with me, all forsook me. Here's the great apostle Paul. He put it all on the line to serve Christ. And as he stood and spoke for Christ, he was completely alone. All of the Christians were gone. And yet he would know for sure, alone but not alone. Because the Lord didn't forsake him. And that's a, this is an assurance you can have. When you see, feel like people have left you, abandoned you, turned their back on you, and notice I said when, not if. So it's unfortunately, sometimes it's, it's, it's a part of life. And we will be so sensitive. Where, where are my friends now? And how we need to know the comfort that Jesus had. You may forsake me. My father won't. And I'll just remind you. <clears throat> Hebrews 13.5. I read the whole verse. But Hebrews 13.5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said. I will never leave you. Nor forsake you. He's saying don't worry about what you have or don't have. And don't believe, worry about who's with you and who's against you, you have the Father. And if the Father's with you, you have everything. If you have everything but don't have the Father, then you have nothing. Psalm 37, verse 28. The Lord loves justice, and he does not forsake his saints. I'll read that again to you. Psalm 37, 28. For the Lord loves justice, and he does not Forsake his saints. You will need that. Often we pray for our persecuted brethren in parts of the world, and sometimes I know they may feel entirely forsaken. But the Lord loves justice, and he does not forsake his saints. I think of the hostages that are being kept by Hamas right now in Gaza. I wonder if any of them know the Savior. If they know that relationship with the Lord, then they could say, the Lord loves justice and he does not forsake his saints. I've heard the testimony of 
I've read the testimony of those who were believers even in the Holocaust and in the concentration camps. And yet knowing the comfort of the assurance of God's presence. I remember reading the words of Richard Wormbrand, the pastor imprisoned and beaten for his faith. And someone asked him one time about the horrors of prison. He said, I'll tell you about prison. I saw beauty because I saw Christ. The Lord loves justice and he does not forsake his saints. If you know Jesus Christ is your savior, that's the assurance you have. Our final verse is verse 33. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. The Lord has been preparing them for his death. And now he's told them they will abandon him. I don't know if they heard those words. Did it register with did they take it to heart? We're going to abandon you? Or you think I would abandon you? And, and he closes his words, even though that could almost be seen as a, an accusation, but it's just a statement of fact to show them their weakness. He's saying, he speaks works of hope to them. He says, Are these things I've spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. <clears throat> That's one promise we don't quickly claim. You know, have you ever seen those book of Bible promises? Look that one up. In the world, you'll have tribulation. First of all, we live in a fallen world. Sometimes we're surprised by things like illness and death and calamity. We live in a, in a sin-cursed world. That's just part of this existence. But as believers, we have an additional struggle of tribulation because we are at enmity with the world, or the world's at enmity with us. In chapter 15 of John, Jesus said this, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. All these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me, Jesus said. In the world, we're going to face tribulation, tribulation of a fallen world, and tribulation of the opposition of a world that opposed Christ. And if that's what they could do to Jesus in their opposition, what can they do to us? Well, what did he say? I've spoken that you might have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but he says, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Don't be afraid of the world. I've conquered it at the cross. It's powerless. I've taken the sting out of it. That word overcome, by the way, some of you people use that word a lot. It's the Greek word nikao. The shoe manufacturer thought that'd be a great name. Conquest. Victory. And so they named their brand Nike. So next time you see Nikes, you can think about that. The real conqueror is not the shoe, it's Christ. But what does he say? Don't worry. I've overcome the world. It reminds me of the story of a father and son were in the car in the spring. So if this was in Texas, it was about two weeks in the year when you could pull the windows down. And a honeybee got in the window and the child went into a panic. Oh, no, it's going to sting me. It's going to sting me. Oh, no. And, he, and the father just tried to calm the child down. And finally, he just took the hand. The, he grabbed the bee. And it stung him. And then he released the bee, and the child said, what did you do that for? Why did you kill it? And he said, that, child, that, that bee can't hurt you. And he said, look at my hand. Do you see what's in there? That's the sting. Because he stung me, he cannot sting you. He's powerless. Hope the kid doesn't think that's the same thing for wasps, but that's another story. <laughs> but the honeybee. And Jesus is saying, I've taken the sting. I've, over, I, I've conquered the power of this world 
by taking its sting of death at the cross. I've spoken these things that you might have peace. And so if I can say there's, in summary of that, we can have confidence and peace in a, in a world of turmoil for two reasons at least. One is the assurance that Christ has conquered this world. Ultimate victory is his. What's the worst they can do to us? Send us to heaven. Take our life from us. But there's the other promise as well. The Father is with us. If you know Christ as Savior, you're never alone. And do you hear how I I, I, I capture that? That's a promise for God's people. God loves justice, and he will not abandon his saints, the believers. Did you even hear that in the promise of prayer? Why is it God hears our prayer? Because he knows we love and believe in Jesus. The, things, the promises and assurances I've offered today are for those who know Jesus Christ as Savior, who understand that he is God who came into this world willingly, took upon himself the death of the cross and the wrath of God in our place, and victoriously went back to heaven and offers forgiveness and salvation to all who will believe. If you have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to hear honestly what you're missing. A father who will hear your prayer and delight to answer it. A father who will never forsake you. And a savior who has conquered this world. If you have yet to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, please hear this offer from him. And turn to him. Recognizing your sin and need of a Savior, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. For those of us who know the Savior, cherish all the riches we have in Christ. Our Father, we thank you that we may call you Father. We thank you that you delight as we pray to you in Jesus' name. And so we do. And how I, Father, pray that these truths would permeate our hearts and and come from our hearts to the world watching and be seen for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.